One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello podcasters around the world and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Huge week in the podcast world. Barack Obama gave an in-depth interview to WTF with Mark Maron that sent shockwaves around traditional media. And now today, Kieran Murphy celebrates his birthdays with the listeners in podcast form. Happy wow. birthday, Murph. Thank you, Mark. Um, that is uh, as welcome as it is sincere, so I thank you for that. Ken's also here to join this three-man celebration. Hello, Mark. Hello, Kieran. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, Kenneth. Today are not made whole that reach the age of Christ. <laughs> I, have, I have at long last reached the age, age of Christ. 33 years old, born in 1982. How depressed are you this morning? Uh, actually, not depressed. I know, Mark, that you are a man who gets depressed on his birthday. Uh, you look at it as a, the day in your life each year where you say, it's over. I've, I've, I'm moving further and further from my prime. <laughs> Whereas with me, I, I, I look at it as a, as a day of celebration. I presume you've received zero to one present so far today. No presents. I mean, who's getting a birthday present? I mean, if you're over seven getting a birthday present, forget about it. I mean, I suppose... I'll get, well, no, I'll get one. I'll get a, one birthday present from my wife. But, I mean, I, like, the idea of you, for instance, getting me a birthday present, that to no, me it's not going to happen. It's ridiculous. Why would you buy me a present? Do your parents, is it a text as far as the parents are going to go today? Well, uh, I'll tell you this now. I was home on Tuesday, and uh, uh, I was driving with my dad. And uh, dad, when he gets a text message, he'd often... He'll often read out the text message, you know, so he's getting it and he's, as he's absentmindedly kind of reading it, he's reading it also aloud. So uh, he gets it, he goes, oh, it's from herself. And then he says, uh, get milk, bread and a birthday card. And then he looks at me and he goes, I probably shouldn't have read out that last bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they got me a birthday card. They didn't, he didn't have to post it because they gave it to me yesterday. Opened it today. Five scratch cards in her. Uh, got four euro back. 
So that's for you. I have it here in my wallet. You're going to host a party later? I'm thinking just the three of us, maybe Simon over there, a couple yeah. of your colleagues from, from, from the Irish Times, maybe it's looking at Alan Partridge's party in the hotel room. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll bring the Black Beauty CD. Who's going to make the cut from in here, actually? Miriam Lord's a shoe in, I, I presume. Uh, yeah, Miriam Lord and Russian Ingle. And I actually really owe the big guy a pint, Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, because uh, I was in Tume a couple of weeks ago having a few pints. Kevin O'Sullivan is a former... Uh, employee of the Tume Herald so he's, if he's not from Tume he's from very close to Tume he was in the pub that I was drinking in with my cousin and he came into the studio here at the end of last week it was this day last week last Thursday and he said you know I was waving at you for about 20 minutes in Canavans in Tume and I obviously had burnt my boss <laughs> I'd completely burnt him I, I, I didn't notice he, know that he was there at all so I'm sorry uh, for that, guys. If We're that, all sorry. We're all sorry. If that causes, if that causes some uh, some issues, I, I apologise. I thought I'd look up other people who were born in 1982, Murph, just to see how your life is going in comparison. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I found out Nicki Minaj. She was born in 1982. <laughs> was she? Very similar to you in uh, personality and deed body shape. She's had a good year. Mm, uh, yeah. Landon Donovan. He's retired now, so you're still going. <laughs> a- Andy Roddick also retired. You're still going. God. Prince William. He's he was born into it. He never did a tap. Yeah, and but fun. hasn't even started his job yet. So, whatever Fair about point. retirements. And finally, Lil Wayne. Lil and, Wayne. And in fairness, you know, you have to give yourself a few more years before Lil Wayne's level. Uh, well, yeah. You're going in the right direction. Not bad. Nicki Minaj. Yeah. I would never have said she was 33. Brilliant show lined up for you today. US Murph will join us to talk about moves being made to finally ban the Confederate flag from sports events in the US. Huge weekend in GA. We'll be joined by Man Mountain, Michal Quirk and Man Molehill, Michael Foley of the Sunday Times, to talk about <laughs> why the Cork football team gets so much stick. It's second cabin's producer Mark Horgan here for Owen McDevitt today. Owen's on holidays in the US with his girlfriend, taking a short break from sport. Complete break. Clear the head. He's downloaded this on his iPad, iPhone and laptop already. But apart, yeah. apart from that, Murph, a complete break from sport. Yeah, he's obviously going to take, the, take in that baseball game in New York as well. But other than that, <laughs> he's uh, switching off. It's beautiful weather in Dublin today, lads. But you know what? Completely ruined it for me. Well, The muscly young men in their early 20s in Ireland were back today and they've their tops off. Tops oh. off? On, on the city streets. And I'm cycling to work I today. I don't believe that. I swear, I'm cycling to work today trying to stop my belly protruding onto the crossbar. <laughs> and there's a load of Magic Mike impersonators <laughs> strolling around Dame Street in Dublin. Literally, with tops, tops off. off. Tops completely off. That's shameless. That is shameless. I mean, that's ridiculous. What are they doing? Who are they trying to impress? Well, we know who they're trying to impress, and they're probably succeeding. What do you think, Ken? Ken? What do you think, Ken? When's it acceptable for you to take your top off? Sun's out, guns out? Uh, at the beach. Pretty much at the beach is the only time, and otherwise, no, not in the never I, in city areas. I mean, oh, no. to be Come to on. be honest, no, I, nobody nobody wants that. Nobody needs that, and nobody wants that. Yeah, I mean, someone you know eating a wrap as they walk past you. I mean, no one needs <laughs> no one needs to see that when they're eating. What about the streets of Milltown, Murph? No, good God, no. I mean, wh- wh- what is this country coming to? If we could just walk around with our tops off. I mean, obviously in Milltown. You put a vest on, it's a whole other deal. Well, speaking of vest, a slight step up is what I saw yesterday on Baggett Street. There was a fella, I'd say 22 years old. He had a vest that was like, uh, kind of like Mr. Motivator would have worn back in the day. You know, yeah. really low cut, kind of down to the navel, leotard style thing. Okay. Full tattoos. Yeah. And the most ripped man I've ever seen. Full tattoos, like kind of a, somebody who's in prison on the Mexican-US border, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, def- it's the Conor McGregor effect. Well, I, w- I would hesitate to call it the Conor McGregor effect because Conor McGregor is, is following the trend there. He didn't originate this trend. Mm. Um, it does seem to have swept the world now. Of course, uh, Simon walks uh, his baby with his top off. 
uh, on Clontarf. Uh, uh, the what's it called? The prom there, Clontarf. So I mean, you know, and that day it has, he has been spotted with his top off. No. Yes. Really? Yes. So I mean, what what, what can I tell you? You know, hot pants, top off. No, just the top off. So, I mean, listen, you know, there, it's a broad church here. It's like captain's that, meeting. We don't want to say that we're all fat, middle-aged men ashamed of our, uh, you know, our pot bellies. Those tattoos, Just all though. four of us. You don't have any, do you? Tattoos, no. You missed the, you missed the yeah, bus. Yeah, but, like, I missed it by, I'd say, four years. Yeah, because it's just, I mean, uh, you watch the Copa America now, and it's like, obviously, Arturo Vidal is the king. Mm. Um, I mean, he's covered in these ridiculous tattoos. Um, but... Messi has Messi has now an arm and leg sleeve. You know what I mean? Mm. I think that represents mm. the canary in the coal mine of that particular yeah. of that trend. When Lionel Messi is getting full on sleeve tattoos of swords and shields on his uh, arms and legs. No, even even more so than that, Glenn Whelan. When Glenn Whelan Glenn Whelan's got a full sleeve, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Glenn, he does. Yeah, Glenn Whelan's. But Glenn Whelan's had them for a while. You know, Glenn Whelan. Glenn Whelan moved sooner sooner into it than you know. Glenn Whelan has got hidden depths. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas, whereas Messi, when Messi is doing it, then it's then it's. I think if Lionel Messi wasn't peaked. really good at football, he'd be an accountant. Well, he he would. Yeah, we would accountant Lionel picture. Messi have those leg and? Listen, it's three old men now. talking about uh, <laughs> young yeah. people and the crazy shit they they'd be getting up. Speaking of Conor McGregor, Ken Jose Aldo's out. Chad Mendes is in for UFC 189. I'm sure all of you know already, but Aldo pulled out through injury. This has been met by a course of tweets from Irish fans referring to Aldo as a wimp. And a coward, uh, and he's he's undefeated by the way, Murph, in ten years. Mm. And he was in the fight of the year last year, and he's known as the best pound for pound <laughs> fighter in the UFC. I'm going to say this guy isn't a wimp. Yeah. I'm going to say he's probably not a coward either. Yeah, uh, pulls out a lot of fights though. Almost. Well, I think he's dead right not to fight if he's got an injury, don't you? It's, well, not, it's not like it's a soccer match or a rugby match. And also, he's pulled out of fights. He pulled out of a fight with Mendes, and then subsequently came back a couple of months later and you know beat the head off him. So well, look, he, you know he's put out a statement now. Um, he's Actually, before we do that, Ken McGregor was on a conference call last night to promote the fight uh, with Mendes. Now, and he decided to let bygones be bygones with Aldo. I don't blame the man. I was going to fucking butcher him, rip him limb from limb. Uh, yeah, look, I mean McGregor has been saying that uh, pretty consistently. I mean, I think he said a long time before Aldo pulled out. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy pulled out. And then he's uh, said a lot about how he's mentally gone. He's on the run. You know, he's he's done, he's finished, he's had his time, you know, he's on the way out, and here he is scuttling off uh, again. I mean, um, Jose Aldo put out a uh, statement, and I don't really understand the statement, because it, it comes with some pictures of what look like uh, a skeleton, a model skeleton that you would get in a school, mm. you know, and they've broken off a little bit of the, of the, of the <laughs> bottom rib. And uh, this seems this this is a, I don't know whether they're trying to demonstrate because it's clearly not Jose Aldo's actual skeleton. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just it's, an X-ray would have been better because really you know we know where the rib cage <laughs> is. You know vaguely. They did show uh, they did then show an X-ray, but because you know an X-ray, you know plebs like us are looking at an X-ray, we can't really. It's like what does that really show? So I think they've they've actually provided a model to demonstrate mm. what the X-ray is showing, which is to say a little broken bit at the bottom of the of the bottom rib on the left side. Um, but What's he said, all those said about McGregor? Well, he says, he puts out a statement where he, he, first of all, he lays out his pain. For three months, I trained three times a day. I invested my time and money bringing training partners from Brazil and other countries to do the best training camp of my life so I'd be ready to defend my belt for the eighth time on July 11th. 
Unfortunately, I fractured my rib during a training session, which I can prove from an official medical report. And besides trying my best to fight, I was forced the other way, and that made me really sad. Um, so he says, uh, you know, anyway, uh, my, many people tell me to fight anyway because of the money I can make. But I wouldn't sell myself for any money, no matter how much. I fight for love. I do it for my country. Money comes in second place. It's like a shadow. When you try catching it, you can't. But when you move forward, it follows you. Money ends someday, but the legacy and things you do become part of history. That's what I value the most. So he goes on, talks about his record a bit. Um, average of twice a year, title defense since April 2011. Um, he says, uh, if all the fights that have occurred, because he's pulled out from five times before, um, I, would have, I would have done 12 title fights in four years in the UFC, an average of three fights a year, something no other UFC champion did. A UFC champion rarely does three title defenses in a year. So he's basically saying my... My record is actually pretty good. Uh, and he says, uh, that can't be the main reason why they're creating an interim title. But the UFC is a private company, which I work for. So I can't complain about its decision. But I can't say I agree either. So this is the interim title that McGregor and Mendez will fight for next week. Uh, he then goes on. As of my opponent, who told me to step up and fight like a man, I can't say anything about a man that imitates a TV series character. And then, I don't know if this is inserted... Uh, <laughs> Sort of by the media into the statement because I didn't get the, I didn't haven't got the statement emailed to me I haven't seen it in its raw for, raw form or if he actually put this in in brackets but in brackets it says Travis Fimmel from Vikings <laughs> 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 so <laughs> Travis Fimmel who um, plays the character Ragnar whatever you know it's something in uh, Bognar the impolite something exactly <laughs> Elon the boneless or whatever <laughs> in the show uh, Vikings. Uh, and he does look a little bit like Conor McGregor in this, in his when he had the hair pulled back, you know, shaved up yeah. the sides and then pulled back into a little uh, bone or whatever. That's really who he wanted to be, continues Jose Aldo, because he's probably ashamed of being who he really is. So he, imit he imitates his lines, his style, and this actor's tattoos. He's an artist, but not from martial arts, but cheap comedy. It's disrespectful with an actor and for real athletes. He should look for a stage and not an octagon. The octagon is my kingdom. And there's a place for only one king, which is me. If he wants to participate, he can be the joker he already is. If he beats Chad Mendes, the only thing he will have is a toy belt to show his friends drunk in his country's bars. Because that is what an interim belt represents to me, a toy. I am the champion. <laughs> God, I'd be really, I'd be really offended by that uh, drunks remark if I hadn't watched that press conference. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know exactly where you're coming exactly. from, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know, he was talking about that press conference recently. You showed me that interview, Mark. It was at Ariel Helmani. Yeah. And um, uh, he is one of the top sort of uh, journalists in the MMA. He did a long interview with Conor McGregor where he brought, he addressed this thing. You know, I was kind of interested to see a lot of Irish people were saying, we kind of found that embarrassing, the way you were behaving at that press conference. That was maybe a bit, you know, too much. We didn't really like that. Uh, what did you think of that? And McGregor said, look... Uh, you you obviously didn't see what happened in Brazil when I went to Brazil uh, for this press conference in Rio. Allah was there. <laughs> you would not believe the stuff that they were saying. saying. The translator couldn't actually translate any stuff that's been shouted at me. I just said, "Well, that's just the that's a fight game." It turns out it was exactly the same over in Brazil as it was in Dublin, <laughs> and people from Brazil were trying to apologise to Conor McGregor for what the <laughs> Brazilian public was saying to him. Here, do you know what? I think these. Uh pre-fight press conference are a really good idea. I think everyone comes out of it looking benefits, much better. Every, everyone benefits, exactly. What did you think of the Obama podcast, by the way, Ken? I thought it was really good. Um, 
It was an hour-long chat in a garage with uh, Mark Maron, a very popular podcast that's, that uh, we're all fans of. From, I, I, have to, I have to say, just one, my, one reservation, that I thought Mark Maron was a little bit too impressed by Fawning. the whole thing. He was a little bit too impressed by the Secret Service and, this, and the helicopters and mm. all this stuff, you know. But I suppose it, you, you are a little overwhelmed by this whole thing. But, you know, he, uh, I, I, I thought he came across uh, very well, actually. I, I like this clip. Here's Maron talking to Obama about his nerves ahead of the podcast. I don't know how you deal from day to day. I was panicking all morning. You know, I, I don't imagine you were flying in here on the chopper thinking like, you know, I, I am nervous about Mark. No, I wasn't. Okay, well, that's good. That, yeah. makes, <laughs> that would be a problem. He sounded about as nervous as Richie Sadlier does when he comes in to do second games football with us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. yeah, like the, the, the ephemera of the presidency seemed to really knock uh, Marin out of, his, out of his stride. But actually, once the conversation started... Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I thought the guy's the most, Obama's about as charming a human being as is alive at the moment. Okay, the two headline games this weekend, Murphy Kilkenny versus Galway in the Leinster Hurling Final and Cork versus Kerry in the Munster Football Final. Who else is playing? Uh, on Saturday in the football qualifiers, Offaly Kildare, Claire Longford and Cavan Ross Common, uh, two teams earmarked by Irish Times columnist Jim McGuinness as the, two of the three teams he was looking forward to seeing in the championship this year. Uh, there's hurling qualifiers as well on Saturday, Clare against Offaly, Wexford against Cork, and Leash against Dublin. Then Sunday, the two big games, as you say, Kilkenny against Galway and Kerry against Cork in the Munster football final. But there's Fermanagh Antrim in the football qualifiers and Westmeath Limerick in the hurling qualifiers. So loads of counties uh, in action. And it could all be over for Clare. I, I hate it when it happens like this. The two teams are playing on the same day and within like four hours, uh, Clare and Offaly could both have been you know, booted out of the championship. Right, over the past year, it okay. seems like the Cork footballers have been getting a level of stick. Few teams in the country can match. A lot of it may have stemmed from their terrible performance in the last Munster final when they lost by double scores to carry 24 points to 12. But this is a deeper phenomenon and we've got four-time All-Ireland winner Michal Quirk with us along with Michael Foley of the Sunday Times. How are you, lads? Pretty good, good pretty good. good. All good. Michael, we'll start with a quote from Kerry manager Eamon Fitzmaurice on Cork in advance of this one. I was thinking about them during the year. They have to be the most maligned bunch in the country, full stop, football or hurling. You're a Cork man, do you agree? Um, no, I don't. Uh, to put it to put to, to put the, the shortest answer possible, no. Um, it actually when I when I saw it, I, like I know what Eamon is obviously trying to do after Tommaso Shea's comments there a couple of weeks ago. But it actually struck me when I heard it. It reminded me very much of Mick O'Dwyer years ago when he used to say Cork were the second best team in the country. You know, <laughs> uh, after after administering another whacking to them either in Killarney or Parky Creeve. It's sort of. Um, you know, saying saying, and I know, and again, as I say, I know where Eamon's coming from, but you could spin it another way. Like if 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 you were of a of, of a devious mind, and you could kind of say, well, if 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 the Kerry manager is saying that Cork are the most maligned team in the country, that implies that their supporters are expecting too much of them, and that okay, if Cork get into a position and which they have, obviously, to win Munster titles and league titles, uh, you know the Cork public would expect them to be either winning but certainly competing in those games and if they turn on them the reason they're turning on them is because they're not performing um, and that would be that, that would be the general view here you know so if you're kind of saying that you know they're, they're unfairly maligned well then you're kind of implying that well they're actually overachieving in the first place to get there so um, you know I don't think there's anything really that anyone can say after Tomas set the bar that could sort of uh, could sort of ease the tempers, particularly when I'm, and I'm obviously talking in the Cork camp itself, you know, it's the usual sort of build up in Cork before Cork carry. There's not a whole pile of talk about it at all, you know. At the same time, though, uh, Michael, I, th- I think the, the life of a, of a Cork footballer can be pretty miserable. I mean, Ushin and uh, Ushin McConville and Anthony Moyles on uh, this show over the last 12 months have been absolutely uh, ripping into them. 
the the idea that they're unfairly they're absolutely slated when they lose and even when they when they win there's kind of a collective shrug of the shoulders unless the cork hurlers are absolutely nowhere from their own supporters i mean it can be it 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 is a little bit of a difficult position to be in when you're uh, a cork footballer i think oh there's no doubt that it's like it's it's different to anywhere else you know i mean cork are a top are still a top 6 team you know and I don't think there's any other top six team in the country that, that would get dropped like a bad habit so quickly by their own people, you know. Um, and that, that comes from a few different things. I mean, number one, it is, I mean, the hurlers just do get get the blood going more in Cork than the footballers. And they always have, you know. The other thing is I, I've always thought that Cork, Cork as a sporting county sort of has done very well out of, you know, across all the codes, whether, you know, soccer, rugby, athletics, hurling the one fly in the ointment is Kerry and Gaelic football the Kerry are just a team obviously that are absolutely you know absolutely magnificent uh, tradition and so on and they've they've been able to hold Cork in check most of the time over the years and I think that sort of uh, that sort of grates with the with, with the Cork public that their footballers can't get past that and when you talk to Cork football supporters obviously you have a hard core that go to all the matches but you're kind of your average Cork football fan will go to Killarney now on Sunday if they think Cork have a chance of winning but beyond that you won't see them again until an All-Ireland semi-final or final I even remember like back around 2007-2009 when it was a Cork when it was Cork carry All-Irelands jeez the like the atmosphere in Cork was nothing there was there was nothing up until the weekend of the game um, and maybe that's a, maybe there's a sense of trepidation in that when when you come up against Kerry because you sort of know that you know all things being equal Kerry will win, um, but maybe maybe there's also a thing that uh, just football even though you know, I think also you know people outside of the county don't realise this that the that that the it's it's really a hurling county with with, with a football wing. Uh, Michal, uh, Tomás O'Shea has spoken in the, in, in the past few weeks about how they'd get this lovely warm welcome down to Porky Queeves, that it never felt like going down to the, the home ground of your, your local rivals. That, there, that, this rivalry that everyone talks about, this Kerry-Cork white-hot rivalry, like the Cork fans seem to love going to Clarny for the weekend, for the, for the drinking session as much as the football game. Tomás O'Shea was saying that about Porky Queeves. Is, is that, in your own experience going, uh, of these games, is that kind of what it was like for you? Uh, no, never. I, I I've never met anybody who liked going to Parky Grieve. Uh, Clan, was great because you could come down and you can walk to the field. And somehow I always remember them being sunny days, and 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 there was never never a drop of rain. Anytime we went to Parky Grieve, it always seemed to be raining. You were stuck in traffic for about four and a half hours, and we we lost a lot of games up there. Like I, I, listening listening to you there, I nearly started feeling sorry for Cork the weekend. It's nearly. I I, I don't know. I, I I'm starting to wonder if any point going to this game at all. Cocker are gone so bad. Like I, I just find Tomas O'Shea is absolutely doing the most uncarried thing of all time, the most un-O'Shea thing of all time, <laughs> and blowing people's expectations out of the water completely about what they expect of this game. And uh, you know, I, I really don't see it. I, like I still, I was in Parky Reen when 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 they absolutely annihilated Kerry this year, and you can say it's a league game, it's whatever. Now, obviously, Parky Green last year in in, in the final, it went the other way. But the previous league game, the same thing happened. And and Cork still have guys, as Fitzmaurice pointed out, and isn't trying to build them up or anything, but Cork still have guys that can hurt Kerry, Kerry play at the ordinary level that they've played at. And, um, you know, I just, I just, you know, Tomas O'Shea, I, I'd love, you know, if, if if it ever turned out that Kerry did lose to Cork this weekend, 
I would imagine Eamon Fitzmaurice, the first question he'll be asked as soon as he walks into the media room will be, well, Eamon, do you think, uh, do you think the boss helped him out there a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, very O'Shea-like, as you say. But, I mean, I, th- I think the... One thing that ha- that does strike us looking at the Kerry Cork rivalry from kind of the outside is just how much the Kerry the Kerry uh, when Kerry lose to Cork it hurts them so much more than uh, than it hurts Cork when Kerry beat them. Now, say Paul Galvin after the two thousand and nine final, I think it was talking about how one hundred years of Kerry's footballing history and heritage rested on this game, this one game that if they yeah. lost to Cork. That all of that would just have been completely blown out of the blown out of the water. I mean, yeah. that's that's a it, that to me is bizarre. You know, given the fact that it's such a one sided rivalry, uh, and yet it it kind of it kind of rang true if you looked at how Kerry and, and you guys played that day. Yeah, and, and you know that that would be the way. In, like, I mean, the hurling does dilute in Cork. There's no there's no question about it. I mean, Michael said it there that, like. You know, I, I was up, I, I was up uh, doing a little bit with, with a club in Cork there for for a couple of sessions last year, and and, and it was a dual club, and I, I I couldn't fathom how how the hurlers had such a pull over these guys, and if they had been playing football 100%, they would have been an awesome football team, but because their first love, their first interest, their first you know call at training sessions was to go to hurling, the whole football structure was just diluted completely. Now. Outside of the hurling talk, Kerry have had all these like this exact same conversation about the problem bringing players through from the minor age groups, from the from the success they've had at under twenty one. All this kind of route and stuff went on last year for about twelve months in Kerry when we were when we were absolutely finished and we were gone and we're never going to stick our head up again. And it all turned on one on one performance below in Cork. The whole thing the whole thing turned and took off. But I, I think it's it's easier for us to hear. We've a very small little pocket of, of a couple of hurling, you know, clubs who are probably overachieving by by now qualifying for a Leinster Championship. But you know, in Cork, there's no there's no question that that their first love is is that hurling, and and they'd rather see the fir- the hurlers win in All Ireland than than the footballers, you know, and that seems to be the way out of there. To you personally, though, Michal, how great was the fear for you uh, potentially in losing to Cork in comparison to other counties? Like. Munster finals, you know, people talk about how, how, how provincial finals or provincial competitions have to be gone and, and you know, that it's not the way forward. Like, we, we used, like, for a Munster final or a Munster semi-final against Cork, like, it was it was the second biggest game of the year up to up to an All-Ireland final, you know, for us. What, if wherever you played them, you know, at, at, at uh, whether it was Cork or, or Killarney, for a Munster semi-final or final, it was the second biggest game you could possibly play that year. And and we always approached the game like it was, you know, like it was an All-Ireland final. You guys were taking a couple of days off coming up to it and resting and you know it was it was the second biggest game you could play that year and it was it wasn't uh you know i suppose yeah it was a fear of losing it, it was kind of a, it was more of a hatred of them winning as opposed to maybe a fear of ourselves losing if that if that makes any sense yeah, it was yeah, just it makes we, sense, yeah. we, we didn't want we didn't want them to have any opportunity of saying that they were better than 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 the than the group that was in our dressing room, and 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 that was the that was the kind of motivation. It was more to keep him down as opposed to maybe put 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 ourselves up, if if, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Michael, I'll bring you back in here. The uh, that 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 game that uh, Mial just referenced there, the Munster final last last year, it was a turning point for Kerry and for Kerry's year certainly. Uh, from Cork's point of view, it came in the middle of two really horrible defeats to Dublin in the league last year and in the league uh, final again this year. Um, is there anything to suggest that Cork can have learned from those three calamitous games and show up on Sunday with a real football team and a real performance? 
Definitely. I mean, I think I think Michal is absolutely right in what he's saying. And, you know, he he wrote a very good column the other day in The Examiner as well about this. Kind of basically you know, saying that the problem with Cork is that you just, as you said there, you just don't know who's going to turn up. And, you know, a lot of what Tomás said was correct, you know. I mean, and it would be a view. Tomás lives in, in Cork. He works or so he plays for Nemo. Like that would be it would be a view that would be held by a lot of football people in Cork, you know, that they, that leaders need to step forward, that there is no defined uh, pattern of play. But I would contend that there hasn't been a defined pattern of play with Cork for many, many years. They've been trying to weld different systems together to try and fit what's going on around them in, in, in the game. I think last year they played Tipperary in the Munster semi-final and they got an unmerciful fright. They had a game plan going in against Tipperary and Tip actually managed to dismantle the whole thing inside in, in an hour. And I think Cork came out of that game basically chasing their tail ahead of the Munster final. And they kind of cobbled something together, uh, partly relying on hoping that what had worked through the league, which was kind of fast-flowing, all-out all attacking football, would work against Kerry. But it didn't. It clearly didn't. And once Kerry got a foothold, Declan O'Sullivan had one of those magnificent days and, and they were able to dictate the, the, the flow of the game. But again, it goes back to where are the leaders, you know? Guys need to step up. And if you look at Cork now between 5 and 12, there is that's, and that's where you find your leaders, you know? And it, it, you're just looking for fellas to step up. But I, I agree with me. Like, I mean, they had a very good performance against them in the league again this year. Cork will beat most teams, you know, in the country now. You know, apart maybe... And indeed, in the championship, you could easily see Cork beating certainly one of the top four or five teams. Maybe not enough to win an All-Ireland, but they're certainly well capable of taking one out. They're going to Killarney with absolutely no expectation, which is, again, remarkable, really, considering that this time last year, they were the really warm favourites to win. And Kerry were the ones, not quite maybe in this deep uh, deep, deep, deep position of, of, of a mire, like, but they certainly weren't fancied. So, I mean, Cork, Cork aren't a bad team. or you, know, you, don't, you don't just become a bad team. And, you know, the performance against Dublin sort of just, uh, just feeds back into that, that, that point that they're, they're just lacking leaders and they've lost so many players in the last couple of years that uh, guys just need to step up. But as I said, they're going to Killarney with no pressure on them. Um, if they owe it to themselves to deliver a performance, if they can avoid what's, what's hurt them against Kerry over the years has been very slow starts. So if they can avoid getting pummeled in the first half and they can be in there at halftime within a couple of points or even ahead, um, they have the players in areas where Kerry aren't strong. Like, I mean, if, if, if Alan O'Connor can get a, get a bit of a grip around the middle with whoever will be alongside him and they can start feeding ball, into uh, fastball, into Cullum O'Neill and Brian Hurley, try and isolate them a little bit. Don't let Kerry get their defensive set up uh, into into position. Um, they could cause they could cause real problems down there. Michal, do you want to finish up this interview by talking up Cork to the benefit of Kerry? Listen, I think Cork going to win the All Ireland. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean that that's 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 the point right there. I, like you know, Tomas when Tomas spoke about about the trust and 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 that's the issue. You just like I, I I'm just a little bit fearful because this whole talk of no, Kerry are going to win the, or the, the, the Munster time championship so easily against Cork that without that talk out there, you know, no matter how much, no matter how, no matter how much a player steals himself against listening to this kind of idle talk around the streets, 
it, it invariably seeps in just to touch into your into your head and and it just weakens your 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 metal for the fight and and like all Kerry people are talking about is, is how Kerry are going to beat Cork and you know there's there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of complacency there in uh, in with the public now I'm talking about that I that I haven't experienced in a long time especially for a group that just 12 months ago were going to Parky Cueve in the same boat, kind of hoping for a performance, not expecting to win, or, you know, not, not a hugely expecting about to win. And I just think the whole thing is after flipping on its head. No, with, with that said, I still expect Kerry to win the game. I, I think we'll have enough to grind them down. But my point is, I, I'm just, I don't see it being, a, being, a, being an absolute annihilation like it was last year. I think if Cork have any bit of spine about them, you know, guys like Colin O'Neill, Brian Hurley, Dunnock O'Connor, that, that's a seriously potent full forward line. And, you know, Alan O'Connor is a big, big boost to them back around the middle of the field because they were, they were bullied there last year totally. And, you know, he, he's going he, he's gonna to come back with a, with, a, with a big fight because, you know, if they don't get enough ball, they have no chance. So whatever way Cork, I, you know, they have to go look for short kick out, you know, but they have to get as much position as they can into that full forward line because that's our weakest line in the field at the moment and you know if Cock don't make a good job of exposing that you know then it should be a little bit more comfortable than I think but I, I, I just I, I'm just I'm just hoping these, these players are a little bit more steely now to get sucked into this this whole push mentality because these Cock boys are not coming down the road over again OK looking forward to it lads thanks for talking to us no matter. Better, guys. and he is my second captain second captain that's uh-huh. the humorous competition I saw that Important men for my selection. Murph, if ever there was a team to have a siege mentality, the core footballers is it, isn't it? Mm. Uh, no one likes us. But l- let's investigate that comment. Really, like, no one likes us. Not even our own fans really like us. Well, I'm so, gonna- I mean, I, I, I think that uh, it's, it's... I mean, I just don't think that the siege mentality is in, is in this core team. I mean, if they could get their act together to have a mm. really top-class... Siege mentality Then I, I, who knows What could happen I'm going to make it worse Because we're going to speak To US Murph About the confederate flag Debate in the US shortly But I, am I imagining things Or did I always Used to see confederate flags Behind the goals Amongst the Cork fans During the Meath Cork games In the 1980s You absolutely Are not imagining it And uh, it has On occasion Do they, do they it, still fly it Yeah it's been It's been a, an issue Over the last couple of years I remember I don't know what Sparked it a couple of years ago But there, there had been a, a discussion about The confederate flag I think to be honest uh, given the atmosphere, given the fact that the Confederate flag is so much in the news, even over here, uh, never mind uh, mm. in America, I think that now would be a pretty good time <laughs> for if you see a Confederate flag being flown uh, during either of the court games this year in the hurling or this weekend in the hurling or in the football, probably best to have a quiet word with the person uh, waving that flag um, because I, you know I, I don't think that there is, I don't think it's a political statement beyond. We wear red and white, and they here's were, a yeah, flag that uh, that bears those. Yeah, flags. let's not do that anymore. Yeah, let's you know the J- the Japanese flag. You know, you can go with that. That's fine. The Austrian flag was that? Is that just red and white? Yeah, Swiss flag. It's Swiss very flag. positive as well. Just got a big um, plus sign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Croft, I suppose they'd call it. Danish flag. Whatever, whatever you have. Red and just red and white. So listen, there are plenty of international flags you could be flying rather than, you know, the Confederate flag. Murphy, huge game for your beloved tribesmen this weekend against Kilkenny. <laughs> Here's my analysis of the Galway hurling team. Murph, correct me if I'm wrong. I hope this doesn't cause offence. Okay, go on. When go they're really it. physical and quite dirty, they're a really good team. Yeah. And when they're not, they're pretty shite. Uh, yeah, and I think that that's pretty much exactly what Galway people are have noticed so far this year that say the the first game against Dublin they when they really leathered into Dublin they actually looked pretty good but there were too too many parts of the game where they were just standing off and happy to let Dublin play their own game the replay Galway did exactly what they needed to do were ruthless first inside the first 12 minutes they had three goals got and I think that's you know there's certainly more grounds for optimism in Galway hurling now than there has been at any time I think since uh, since 2012 so uh, this will be a nice little uh, tester for Galway. A lot of people were kind of very quick to look at what Kilkenny get, did against Wexford and just say, "Oh well, listen, normal service resumed." Um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm not prepared to say that Kilkenny are as good this year as they were last year, and they're cer- they're certainly nowhere near as good as they were, you know, in the you know 07, 08, 09, that kind of time. So, you know, let's just see let's just see how this weekend goes. I think that there. Are, Certainly grounds for optimism amongst uh, Galway hurling fans. Okay, Ken Early and Murph host Second Captain's Football today. It's available already and it's the best football podcast we've ever done in July when there's no major tournament at. There are two major tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, I'd like to have a good evening. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you're doing down here, you showing me, man. Okay, so two major tournaments, lots to talk about, Ken, and it's two, a, two it still is tours. a brilliant podcast. Can we can we fit it into just one podcast? So that's my <laughs> main concern. Well, we talk about the Women's World Cup semi-finals, um, the Copa America, uh, the final of that is on this weekend as well, and then we're going to talk because you know while these tournaments are going on. The rest of the world of football is going back to work. Um, it's time to finish up holidays. Holiday time is over, and now they're all getting back to uh, to focus on the 2015-2016 season. Uh, one of those teams being the Netherlands, who have sacked their coach and replaced him with the assistant. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about why they've decided to do that at this point. By the way, Murph, a few people tweeted about this. I was sitting okay. at home and me listening to the podcast on Monday night. Go on. Nearly choked on my spice burger when I heard no <laughs> reference to Michael O'Reilly or Katie Taylor. And I was trying to figure out what your problem was with Katie. She's won absolutely everything. Hasn't put a foot wrong. And then I thought, it's, it's, it's bloody well this, isn't it? Whether it's a breakdown or a break-in. It doesn't have to feel like going four rounds. It's for women going places. Is that, is that where the reasoning <laughs> is? It's the only thing I could figure out. No, All top-class sports people can make endorsement mistakes, Murph. Yeah, it's well, no big deal. That's true, I suppose. Even, even Homer nods. But... Uh, I mean, well, it's not a bad ad, you know. It's it, you know. It's a it's terrible ad, Murph. I okay. want to take this opportunity okay. to congratulate Katie and Michael and all our medal winners at the Baku Games. Let's get the US, Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three, called. And the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Terrell out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, 40! Oh, one second left in the game. 
U.S. Murph is with us. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, boys. It's nice to hear you guys uh, running the podcast. And, uh, you know, uh, who needs Owen when he's away? Of course, when he comes back, I'll tell him I'm happy to have him back, right? <laughs> yeah, see, you got caught the last time, uh, Brian. I know you You presumed, as any right-thinking individual would do, that when Owen's not working, he's not listening to the podcast. Where, uh, of course, he literally, as he's hopping in the taxi in Dublin Airport, downloads and listens to all of the podcasts that he had missed. Well, he wants to make sure you guys aren't better than him, so he doesn't have to start worrying about you guys stabbing him in the back, right? Mm, yeah. Hi, Owen from the future, by the way. Uh, we should all say hello to Owen from next week. Brian, it's been a good week for US sport with the Women's World Cup team beating Germany to make the final, and it's been a very powerful week socially and politically in the US. The Supreme Court has ruled that same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states, and after the Charleston massacre in South Carolina, the campaign against the waving of the Confederate flag has gathered a lot of pace, and that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Walmart have stopped selling any related merchandise. We're hearing the South Carolina and Governor has called for it to be removed from state capital grounds. And in the sporting world, NASCAR have announced it's no longer welcome at their events. Will you talk to us about the popularity of NASCAR, first of all, and how it was founded? Because it's very much related to this whole discussion, isn't it? It's funny because NASCAR was just here in the beautiful Bay Area, uh, your guys' second home. It was just here last weekend. It makes a trip once a year to Northern California to a little road track in Sonoma called Sonoma Raceway. So they were just here. Um, I doubt there were any con- too many, if any, Confederate flags flying in the wine country mm. of California. Although you never know. You never know. It, it, they're all over the place. But, yeah, NASCAR is uh, primarily, guys, a southeastern sport, primarily what you consider Dixie or the old Confederate states would be. It's, first of all, it's where it was born. It's where it found its lineage and history. And the sort of the mythology of NASCAR is that it, it began when – uh, cars used to drive from one back town, uh, one mountain town to another, uh, transporting moonshine uh, from one town to the next on on dirt roads. And the legend is is that they just turned it into races, just kind of to entertain themselves and to celebrate the automobile in American culture. And that from those seeds grew NASCAR, which is hey, why don't we have an official league of stock car racing? That's when. NASCAR stands for National Association of Stock Car Auto Racing, I believe is the exact thing. Correct me if I'm wrong on one of those words. But um, so stock cars, which are, you know, standard cars like what you'd see on the street, you know, Chevys and Fords and, and et cetera, racing with souped up engines. And so it really blossomed in the South much through the 60s and 70s and 80s. Only in the 90s and the 00s did it start to spread its tentacles to other places, West, California, a couple couple races in California. Phoenix has a, a race. There's always been a race up in New York at Watkins Glen. But basically, it's a southern sport. Now, it does get national run on, like, ESPN, Sports Center. Every Sunday night, they will recap the NASCAR race. And I know people here in my walk of life in the Bay Area of California, which would be such a non-NASCAR hotbed. But I actually know guys who, who, who are normal-thinking Californians who – follow NASCAR and have a favorite driver. So uh, it, it does have a national spread to a degree. I believe in the Harris poll of American sports, I think always NFL is number one. For years, baseball was two, but college football is really gaining on that. It might be college football and baseball, too. NBA is hot right now, three. Then you'd go hockey, and then you'd go, I believe, to NASCAR. So it's about fifth guys on the national totem pole. Now you've got things like a, a national coverage of them, on the weekends by Fox. So Fox TV uses it as content uh, on weekends, and they have their own national traveling broadcast crew, and so that's TV rights. 
and TV rights makes makes huge money. And so, yeah, these guys have turned into, in fact, one of the things about NASCAR's evolution over the years is how incredibly corporate it's become in the sense that Richard, when I talk about those moonshine drivers on the back roads in the 50s and the 40s, they could never even dream that the seeds they laid have turned into these incredibly complex business operations now. Uh, there are these you know, very famous car owners, Richard Childress, et cetera, who own race car companies. They have several different drivers under their wing. And the amount of employees they have that are working as technical employees and now marketing employees – and uh, NASCAR has the same kind of deal, technical and marketing. And it's turned into a huge, almost like you can't even imagine that they have offices and suits and paperwork, which is so non-NASCAR, but it is. It's become a massive uh, a corporate conglomerate. And with that comes money and sponsors. And the other thing I probably should have mentioned right from the outset is how sponsor-friendly it is. Mm. It's an unbelievably sponsor-friendly sport. Every driver features a car just painted massively with advertisements for companies, you know, and, you know, it's funny, the difference between U.S. sports and European sports, for the most part, I mean, we can get into a bunch of them, but as far as one of the things I've always noticed is is our uniforms don't feature advertisements. Remember, we went to the Giants game, there were no advertisements on the uniforms, but when you guys all wear your, your Manchester United or your Chelsea jerseys or even your Irish national team jerseys, they all have uh, advertisements on the front, fly Emirates and all that. You know, That's something that would never be done in American baseball, basketball, or football. But NASCAR, you can't get enough advertising and sponsorship onto their cars and onto the racing suits they wear. So that's how corporate it is, that they are willing to sell every inch of space to sell a product. So, yes, very corporate. Yeah, and I was reading that it really exploded in popularity in the 50s. And this was like a time when schools were being desegregated in the US. And it seems that it was almost seemed like another tool for segregation and for racism um, at that time. What about today and the fuss that's being made over the Confederate flags and then potentially being removed? Um, what sort of audience does it attract today, Brian? Well, that's a pretty hard, hardcore sociological take that NASCAR's popularity coincided with the civil rights movement. I know, man, that is like, that's deep, man. I would have to sit down and Did think Do you think about that's unfair? That, well, it's, it's deep. You know, the same kind of thing has actually been suggested about college football in the South, that, wow, wow, when did college football get so big in the South? University of Alabama, Florida State, you name all these schools that are so, so big now in college football. And, and some sociologists have posited the theory that it had to do with the South, sort of the emasculating of the South, uh, post-Civil War, for about the next 100 years, all they did was deal with defeat, humiliation, and reconstruction, and then the takedown of Jim Crow and all the laws that kept blacks away from whites. And there's a theory that college football sort of represents the remasculation of the southern white male. Like I said, that's heavy duty, man. That's pretty deep. And, and I guess you're right. To a degree, some people view that with NASCAR, that it's always been a symbol of old Southern white culture, almost none. I would have to rack the history books to find the black or African-American NASCAR driver. I'm sure there's been one or two, but certainly not uh, at all part of the culture. It has been predominantly a Southern white driven and owned sport. So to suggest that it is tied in with sort of a rebuttal against the civil rights movement, you know, the civil rights movement was a huge deal in the South. And 
And I know, uh, you know, if you, if you study American history, Richard Nixon, when he ran for president in 1968 and 72, sort of posited the theory that the South was ripe for the white vote because the, it's, it's almost impossible for a, a Westerner or a a coaster. Uh, what, what, how would you describe me? I mean, Antonin Scalia just said in, in the Supreme Court writing that California doesn't count as the West. I know what he means. He means like the we're the, um, the coastal states, New York and, and California are sort of simpatico, liberal, open, progressive states. So it's hard for me to understand the southern white male psyche as far as it relates to NASCAR. But sure, you could see the Confederate flag flying at NASCAR races as a symbol of southern heritage, southern pride, and a rebuttal against what they viewed as Yankee imperialism, they still call it the War of Northern Aggression, you know, the Civil War. So, yeah, I mean, with this Confederate flag controversy we had here in the past week and uh, its role in NASCAR actually asking to take it down, asking to have it stop flying at events, is a pretty significant moment for their culture and for their heritage. And I'm sure, actually, there's a bunch of NASCAR fans that probably aren't that happy about it. Yeah, I was really struck by, I, I thought there'd be a lot more equivocation in how NASCAR would deal with it, judging, just going by the fact that it's a thing that you see so often at their uh, racetracks. But I mean, say for instance, Dale er- uh, Earnhardt Jr., who's the biggest name in the history of the sport, said, I think the f- it, the flag, I think it's offensive to an entire race, it belongs in the history books, and that's about it. So there's not a, not a lot of equivocation there, not a lot of wiggle room there. Uh, they've obviously just decided that this is just complete poison, and maybe it goes back to the 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 level of corporate involvement that you were just telling us about. Maybe maybe that's why there's so little equivocation in these in the NASCAR response. It's a good point, Kieran. That I was surprised too at how firm uh, both the head of NASCAR, Mr. France, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's the son of the great and legendary Dale Earnhardt. I, I too was surprised at how incredibly firm they were in their take uh, because you would have thought they would have straddled the line of being politically correct and saying the right thing to please corporate sponsors and northern liberals who want this thing taken down and respecting the fact that they have a bunch of fans out there who will argue to you, they will argue to you that the Confederate flag does not represent slavery. It represents southern regional pride. That's their argument, why they think the flag should still be allowed, as they say, it's a regional pride, it's a regional identity. And like I said, you could meet some intelligent Southerners who will tell you that and make that argument. But when Dale Earnhardt Jr. and the head of NASCAR say flat out, it has no place in our races, it was, I was shocking. I mean, like you mentioned at the top, Mark, it was a huge week in America between the Supreme Court same-sex ruling and the Confederate flag Mm. basically meeting its demise. I mean, we're talking about, it's almost like, I mean, it isn't a, this isn't a great analogy, but it's, we're like a baby, baby, baby version of when the Berlin Wall came down. It's like all of a sudden, boom, it just, everything changed overnight, right? Mm. And it's like, I mean, we're not talking about Berlin Wall here, but we are talking about significant symbols in American society, bam, bam, going down one, two, just like that. In fact, there's a meme going around that you guys may or may not have seen that has a Confederate flag flying in kind of a cartoon, and then th- that flag goes down, and then the next flag hoisted up is the rainbow flag of equality, of same-sex equality. And that's basically the meme that sums up 
the week. Confederate flag down, rainbow flag up, and all happened in about 48, 72, 96 hours here. And, of course, I'm sure everybody knows so much of it. It was all sprung by the fact that the horrible, awful murder mm. at the Charleston Black Church in South Carolina was perpetrated by a kid who, who used the Confederate flag as his rallying point. And so there was no more horrible and awful symbol that he tr- he truly viewed it as white supremacy, which is what a lot of people say. And what Dale Earnhardt Jr. was saying was, point blank, this is offensive to an entire race. It symbolizes a, uh, it symbolizes slavery to every black American. How in God's name can we have it up here? So heavy-duty stuff, guys. This isn't mm. exactly... We're a long way from the Splash Brothers parading down uh, <laughs> Oakland's uh, streets and cheering. But, yeah, it's important, and, and it's happening. It's the news of the day here in America. Okay, Murph, I've got a question for you. Irish okay. Murph. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of if I was to say the words John Brooks to you? John Brooks? Yeah. John... Do, should I know who John Brooks US is? U.S. Murph? John Brooks. Did you go to school with him? Oh... John Brooks was the main topic of conversation about this time last year. He scored the last-minute goal for the U.S. against Ghana. We oh, promised we'd oh never God. forget about him. John Brooks. In the World oh, Cup, yeah, five minutes you, to go against Ghana, peeled stumped. off, head in hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just stumped the band. That's an outstanding pull. Outstanding pull, and you just exposed me for the <laughs> and, soccer charlatan I am. Thank me. you. Very good. Very well done. I remember listening to you and Owen speaking last year around this time about how much this has you know, transcended the sporting world, how much traction there is in the US, and how there's different ratings records being broken after this goal. So I want to know how the US women's team, what sort of traction they've gained after they beat their hated rivals a couple of days ago. Well, we should probably call John Germany. Brooks and ask him if he's watching, right, man? Oh, my God. You know what? I'm going to remember now. Wasn't he? He's the son of a German serviceman, right? right? In America. That's right. Okay. Uh, and I think, I hope that the podcast will show a year ago that I admitted on the air I didn't know who the hell he was prior <laughs> to him scoring the goal, right? So, you and the rest of the anyway, world, Brian. Don't sweat it. Back to your original point. Yeah, we're back in love with soccer for a week, right? That's what we do. Every, uh, every few years. In the summer, they have an international tournament, and America falls in love for a week or two. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably going to be soccer's fate for a long, long time. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, We are enjoying the women, and it is gaining traction for sure. And the TV numbers are pretty good. I'm not going to tell you that they're record-smashing. They're not. I actually didn't get the numbers from the Tuesday night game, the win over Germany, but I know that they're doing pretty darn well. And I would anticipate by Sunday – when the U.S. plays in the final, I would anticipate a large amount of audience. You know, whether you want to sort of dismiss it as a one-off that only happens every four years, well, you're probably right. I mean, women's soccer, we talked about NASCAR being fifth on the totem pole. (laughs) Women's soccer might not even be on the totem pole as far as American sports. But the combination of the event, the World Cup, we all know every country in the world knows how enthralling the World Cup can be. It's so special. It's so rare. So the combination of that and good old-fashioned patriotism makes us feel pretty good about these girls. And I heard somebody talking about this, and they're right. It's nice that these guys are not, you know, with NBA free agency has begun and baseball salaries are just a joke. It's nice to see women out there who aren't doing it because they're getting paid $30 million and $40 million a year and they're fighting for their endorsements. These are truly women. They're not getting paid hardly any money at all, and they are doing it for the love of the game and for, you know, so it's kind of fun to see. It's a nice, refreshing break from, you know, as great as LeBron is, uh, you know, it's all about dollars. He's, he's g- 
gearing towards his big his contract run in 2017. And, you know, and John Carlos Stanton of the Miami Marlins, Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks is a huge topic. What contract is he going to get from the Seahawks this summer? This is a nice antidote to that. And, uh, and hell, we're pretty good. We just freaking beat Germany. They were the number one team in the world. And we did it in true American style, which is uh, to outplay the opponent when they least suspected it. Grit, guys, grit it. You, gotta beat them. you can't beat American heart on the soccer pitch. And, uh, and our girls showed it now. But my answer to you guys is the same as it is every international tournament. We're in love for a week or two, and that's it. So I anticipate by Sunday this will be a real event in the country. People will really, really tune in. It also helps that it's not up against anything. It's not up against the NFL. It's not up against the NBA Finals. It's not up against the baseball playoffs. It's not up against college football, which can kill off a lot of things because people love college football. It's got the stage all to itself this Sunday, and I'm anticipating a big old party. Okay, Brian, well, you better be paying attention because this time next year we'll be testing your goal, uh, goal scorer knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so get ready for it. I'm going to commit to memory the heroes from Sunday, and in 2016, boys, I'll nail it. Thanks for talking <laughs> to us, Brian. Mark, Karen, take care. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. I'm confined giant Central Stadium in Paris. And when I'm with Lex Luger, we got a date with Destiny right now. Yeah. Murph, no mention of the new Irish slot, hopefully on the San Francisco radio, the Shillelagh Arrow. Listen, you can't, you can't just, you know, have magic. You emailed, have, yeah. you, have, you, have you emailed Brian about it for the Murph and Max show? Sorry, if you'll just let me finish. Uh, it's impossible to just magic up an extremely complicated radio segment like the Shillelagh Irish Magic Hour <laughs> or whatever it was that, we were, that you were calling it. It takes a lot. There's a lot of high-level negotiations. I'm currently trying to get a Bay Area sponsor on board. So if we just leave it with me, then I think that, you know, by the... By Q4 of uh, 2015, we should be we should be good to go. McMahon scaffolding in the Bay Area. <laughs> I'm sure there's an Irish construction magnate out there who wants to hear his county's uh, his GA his county's uh, er, county's GA fortunes being discussed live on Cambridge. I already. actually think there's a lot we can learn from the Murphy Max show in San Francisco. Do you remember when you were on air with Owen and they used lots of those snazzy sound effects like yeah. loads of US shows do? Here's McDavitt. And I've got the uh, San Francisco Giants scarf. And like Paul, Go that's like a year, kind of like a, a European sort of scarf that they wear, you know? Well, you know, Pecan that's... and I have debated like Pecan is a former US Marine. Sir! So he's got, uh, you want to talk about... T- so you got your US Marine sound effects there. Yeah. The soldier sound effects. You got your applauses. There's various other horns. <laughs> etc. that go off at different times yep. during his radio show. Well, it's something, I think it's something that we can learn from. So, next time somebody says stupid on the podcast, from now on we're going to play this. You idiot. It's Obama from Mark Maron. Okay, when somebody makes a really negative point or is down the dumps, we're going to play this. It doesn't have to feel like going four rounds. <laughs> and when we're talking about a place we don't really like, we'll play it's this. It's a dump. It's a dump. Yeah, Shane Curran there. <laughs> so, to all of you, tweet us over, over Glastonbury, by the way. Yes, Shane Curran was on stage with Kanye West during Bound 2. Yeah. He was just at the back there. You couldn't really see him. <laughs> he was hiding behind you the cherry picker. It was like Kanye West was embarrassed of, of cake or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I know. But that's, that's music collaborations. You know, they don't have to get along as individuals to make sweet, sweet music. Right. That's about it from us. Check out Second Captains Football with Ken and Murph right now. Follow us on Twitter at Second Captains and tell your friends about the show. We'll have some brilliant news next week about our next live recording. This one will be in Ireland this month. Uh, we can't wait to see you all there. Oh, Murph. Go on. Do you want to give a shout out to your new celebrity buddy? Oh, yeah. Why not? Uh, so I was walking down Grafton Street last night, Ken. Mm-hmm. Bowl of brass. Uh, myself and me dog. Yeah. Right? 
And uh, no, no. Has your dog grown to large enough size now that you don't look absolutely ridiculous walking? No, it's dog? a big old dog now. I can tell you. So what? So you, you and the dog are walking down Grafton Street. Yeah, and um, uh, as happened, the dog is. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to go. You know, the whole nine yards here. But my dog's, she's a good-looking dog, right? That's right. all I'm saying. It's a Labradoodle. She's a cute dog. Yeah. So I see someone, and this happens quite a bit. Someone kind of nudging their partner and saying, "Look at the cute little doggy." Eyeless dog. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we've got her fringe cut now. She can see quite clearly out of okay. her eyes. Yeah? And uh, I see someone nudging and pointing and, you know, big laugh. Look, it's beside the sweaty man. Yeah, yeah. Look. <laughs> and who is it nudging their uh, partner but uh, Irish golfing sensation Shane Larry? Oh. So Shane Larry looks at my, sees my dog and then comes over and has a big chat. And, you know, it's. It, it's it's weird because you know I could have asked him about his uh, U.S. Open heroics yeah. uh, coming so close. PGA to the first Tour member, of course. Yeah. Uh, now, yes, even just in the last forty-eight hours, met a temporary member of the PGA Tour. But instead, I bored him to tears with the uh, talk of how hyperallergenic my dog is. So <laughs> she looks quite hairy, but she actually doesn't shed around the house at all. So, um, yeah. Long may it last. Good luck with the rest of the season, Jade. You're officially a dog wanker. Yeah, that's uh, I, uh, I am. I'm a fully paid up member of the Dog Wanker Club. Mark. Thanks again. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Mark. Thank you again. Thank you. Kurt. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Like